0: You may be seated. Man, this, uh, this, this passage here, I mean, it's got a whole bunch of, uh, of favorites, memory verse favorites here, um, and we're going to try and work them all together. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I uh, took swim lessons. I absolutely love swimming. My kids love swimming. I don't know. It's just, my mom always says, You're a fish. And I think that's weird, but I guess, you know, whatever. Um, the, uh, we just love swimming, but we took swim lessons and loved them at the YMCA. One of the lessons we had, I think it was more of like a sh- survival skill, and it was the uh, what do you do, how do you, uh, how do you swim if you have on wet clothes, you know, and uh, so like you fall in and how do you, you know, what are you supposed to do here because it could cause drag or whatever, there's dangers, I know that they meant well, um, but I just hated it. I thought the idea of wet clothes was just awful, you know, I'm never going to fall into want- water, you know, uh, and uh, we had to get on a diving board and jump in, and so my, my whole class, they, they kind of go. And, like, we actually had to get to a point where my mom, like, threw me off the diving board with my clothes on, with shoes and everything. I'm not joking. Like, there is something I need to go to, you know, a counselor for this. Because, like, I, I, I hate, like, it's, it's weird how much I hate. Like, people are like, oh, it's a throw, you know, a, a water balloon, you know, at me. And it's, like, it's on my shirt. Like, it just, I just lose it. Um, and, uh, you know, and, like, you know, I, even if I, even if i were a football coach, like, I would tell my team, like, I will give you bars of gold if you don't dump the Gatorade on me. Like, I, like, I just cannot handle it. Uh, I think it, maybe it goes back to some of that. But the thing that I, that, I, that I noticed there is just like, I don't know. It's like I like being in the pool when I can say I'm in the pool. But when I'm out of the pool, like, there's a line there. Like, I want to dry off and I want to be done. And it's just like, ugh. And then shoes drying out forever, like days on end. That, just that whole thing there, it just, for some reason, I just don't want the wetness when I'm not in the water. And uh, maybe I'm not weird in that, but I've made myself super weird so far. So, <laughs> so this guy is crazy and going to preach to you now. Um, so so there, there's something in that. Um, but I think that there's this idea. We're going to come back to this idea of the pool, the water, the wetness. And I just kind of want to set that up before us because I feel like the gospel and Jesus Christ are that. And our text today is going to take us very much there to be all in in the pool, to be completely wet. And, uh, and, and, and see how this brings about, you know, the peace of God. So there's the image to set it up, but what does our text say here uh, today? It brings us into this idea that we can have this, this way forward. We can have um, kind, of a, kind of a path towards living. You know, um, Paul oftentimes, almost always, he in his letters will have the first section be very theoretical, you know, I'd say he's in, you know, gear four, you know, and he's up there in the, he's cruising on the, on the, on the theology, and he's setting this up, but then somewhere, maybe around the middle towards the end, he's going to shift all the way down to low gear, and he's going to grind through the details of how to do this in, in real life, in practical ways, and so he's going to shift those gears. I feel like Philippians, as I've been mindful of, okay, when is he making that change from like building up this huge, you know, Jesus Christ to now, what does this mean for me today in North Liberty? Um, I feel like he's kind of, in gear three most of the time, because he's always telling us, he's urging us to be a certain way uh, all throughout the letter, but then here, I feel like he makes that shift into the practical, but he doesn't go all the way. He kind of shifts into, like, gear two, you know, and so he's still going to give us this, this idea, this big picture, long view of Christ and the kingdom, but he's going to drop it here for us today, and one of the ways that he says this is to stand firm. Uh, he says, so, considering everything that we've talked about, which we'll get to, It says stand firm. So I think that's the big takeaway for today. Stand firm in the Lord. He says it here, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. I think this is helpful for us. You know, I want to read through this and say, okay, whatever. You know, the command there is stand firm. If you're a note taker, then you can just kind of underline stand firm. That's what he's telling us to do. Stand firm. We could say that, but I want, to be, I want to be a real person. I want to be just like this Christian who just reads it and says, okay, great, it's in the Bible, I believe it. What does this actually mean? I feel like a lot of times we say, stand firm in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, your identity in Christ. And those are all things that we say, but they don't, they don't have teeth. They don't bite. They don't like stick with us in real life. Uh, this, this idea of standing firm, what does this mean for my life when I'm actually standing firm in Christ? I think the songs that we were singing are wonderful this morning. This idea that, that, that our hope is in Christ, that we can have this confidence in Christ, that whatever, whatever happens in life, we can still know that at the ultimate, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. I think that's there. And it says stand firm. I think there's something else that happens, though, is, is that when we, are, um, when we are Christians, we, we, you know, we go out and we, we may rightly or, or, or wrongly have this confidence that is more in our Christianity than Christ, and we, we go out and we, we kind of tell the world, you know, be like us because we're awesome. And, uh, and I'm not sure that's exactly what he's saying here about stand firm. I think it's a lot more like the pool. He's saying, if, if, you're, gonna, if you're gonna go um, pound down the gates of hell, if you're gonna engage this war with the devil, if you're going to go speak goodness into the brokenness of this world, we have to have a firm foundation. We have to have a solid footing. We have to be able to stand firm and if we only have, you know, if we only have part of us, you know, in the pool, uh, if we're only sampling, you know, maybe, uh, maybe every week, uh, maybe, maybe at high holidays, maybe, maybe if we're only, you know, kind of visiting the pool, maybe if we're just dipping our toes in every so often, uh, then th- we're never going to have this, 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 this all-in kind of firmness to our, to our faith. You've got to be all in. And he says and when you're all in, when you are in the water, when you are in Christ fully and swimming there, you're going to get wet, and that wetness is going to end up being, what Paul is saying here is, it's going to be the peace of God. If you're not all in, you're not actually going to experience this peace of God in the way that God intends. So, let's, uh, let's go through this. So the idea is, stand firm in the Lord. But there are three ways that he kind of... Uh, Kind of fleshes this out. He says, uh, "The first one here in the verses two and three, he says, one of the ways in which you do this in real life is you help one another to Christ. You help one another to Christ.' So we get this, we get this disagreement here uh, in in verses two and three. I treat Yodia and I treat Syntyche, um, say those three times fast uh, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women." who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement, the rest of the fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Okay, so, so what, what do we get here? We don't get a whole lot of stuff about what's happening here. We just know that there's a disagreement, that these two ladies, they need to agree in the Lord, um, that they were, they were companions, or that, that they are... Um, they were laborers uh, side by side with me in the gospel. So, so what's there? You know, I don't want to go too far into this and just suppose what's happening. I think just from the text, maybe a couple of observations that are helpful about this idea of agreeing and disagreeing uh, in, in, in our faith and as Christians. Um, what he's saying is, is, is here is, is this difference between settling our differences or reaching a, uh, an agreeable consensus or... What he's saying here is agree in a specific thing. To agree in the Lord, you see, I I, I understand when he says agree in the Lord that he's that they say something different than just make sure they get along. You see, I think one observation is I don't think it's guaranteed that they won't have differences or that they've settled all their differences for this to be successful. They may still have differences, but agree in the same Lord. I think there's there's something that's being divided here in Paul's mind, is this idea that that sometimes we agree to certain things um, that are what I would call not the ultimate, but the penultimate thing, and that Christ is actually that ultimate thing that we need to agree on. So, just bring us into real life. That's really theoretical. Um, He says that Christ is the one that it's all about, because he says, therefore, I urge these people to believe in this. Chapter 3 basically says this. This is this is what we're rallying to when we agree in Christ. That righteousness is demanded to a holy God. To be in the presence and live eternally with a holy God, to experience resurrection and glory that comes through Christ Jesus, there needs to be an agreement of mind that Jesus is the only way. And also that 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 our way to righteousness is only through Jesus and not through our own works. This is chapter 3. This is what we've just been talking about for the last couple of weeks, or if you speed read what you read in the last couple of minutes in chapter 3. This is what he's saying. So therefore, from this, we can stand firm in the fact that our righteousness, our goodness is only accomplished through faith in Christ, and that his righteousness is seen as our own, and that's what it is. So this is what I want Yodia and Syntyche to agree upon, they may be disagreeing about the color of carpet in, in, the, uh, in the church. They may be disagreeing about politics. And that would make them very Iowan uh, in, in that way. Uh, they may be disagreeing uh, a lot about uh, their sports team. I doubt it. Uh, they may be disagreeing about these things that uh maybe, uh, maybe views on, uh, on certain uh, interpretation of the gray area scriptures. They may be really hammering home that you have to be this kind of pre-millennial. Uh, they may be hammering home that it really is God and, uh, is sovereign and Calvinism wins and there is no free will and they fight this out. But what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. That is penultimate. That is not the ultimate. What are we agreeing in? We are agreeing in the Lord. It's the words right there. I'm not making this up. I'm reading it. To agree in the Lord, verse two. It says, then what do we do? We help each other to see that. They may have differences on these issues, but if they don't come against the true gospel that we are sinners in need of a savior and through faith in Christ, we can be saved. If that's not it, then then why are we making this the dividing thing? Jesus, the Lord, is the one who will judge us and decide whether or not we are known or unknown not our political candidates, not our view on, on the end times, not our view on how God's sovereignty works. These are not the dividing things. And maybe even go even down to more petty things that aren't penultimate. They're like way down here. Not how we like raise our children. Not how we, what school we go to. Not, uh, not whether or not we are clean or, or, uh, or, or messy. Whether, whether or not There are so many things that we make into these, these moral issues of whether you are wicked, you are righteousness that, that aren't there. And he says... Eh, Look at this, surprise, surprise, first century church had these problems too. So we can all breathe because we're the same as Yodia and Syntyche. And he says, we need to agree in the Lord. But it's tough. That's maybe the second uh, observation here. It's tough because he doesn't say, Yodia, Syntyche, work it out. He says, my fellow workers, help them do this. That's why we come to church. That's why we need each other. That's why we emphasize community. That's why we emphasize potlucks and community groups and getting together. And that's why I just promoted uh, this wonderful guide. It's not a guide of all the programs we have. It's a guide of all the opportunities to get together to have those conversations so that we can learn how to help each other. And he says it's going to take the village to help do this. This is what that koinonia that partnership, that fellowship, that, 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 that thick community is that Paul is developing here in Philippians. He said, so they may have disagreements, but they need to agree on the Lord. Their disagreements, uh, this is maybe the, uh, another observation here, The disagreements arose after laboring side by side in the gospel. He said, he, he credits them, he says that they did this before. And so I want that to be a little bit of a caution to say Uh, that one, uh, it's not that when you become a Christian, you all stop disagreeing, so you can, you know, breathe again on on that one, but I think sometimes we think of of evangelism this way, maybe, Uh, is that uh, maybe the reason why my unbelieving uh, wife or husband, my unbelieving family member, uh, is so difficult to deal with is because they just haven't become a Christian. Now, I want to, I want to caution because I don't want to go all the way on that. There is some of that, when you're a Christian, the Spirit comes, and the Spirit is the one who convicts, and, and so there, there is a commonness there. There is something to that, but that's not the way we go about our evangelism. That's not the way to say, if you, if, if you become a Christian, then come on in. I think we lead sometimes with an evangelism of Christianity, my way of Christianity, rather than an evangelism that says Christ is the Lord, Christ is the hope, and we rally to that. I, think, I, think, I, just, I, want, I want to kick the tires on that real fast because, because, because we do that too often to say the Parkview way of Christ is, is awesome. I don't know if any of you are saying that. I'm not saying that. I've not heard anyone say that. But as an example, that's not how it goes. My way, my hymns, my music, my scripture, my way of looking, this is the way, best way for us to agree. Just get on board now and I'll pray really hard for your soul so that we agree. That's not the way we go about that. However... The fact that this disagreement arose after laboring side-by-side side is a caution to us to say that no matter how much we are laboring side-by-side side in the gospel, we always have to remember that there is an adversary who wants to turn us on each other, that we always have to be cautious, we always have to be trusting and, and, and looking toward uh, the interest of others to, to, to enter humbly, this is Philippians 2, that we need to come uh, to each other, uh, to our conversations, to our faith, to our practices, humbly, uh, knowing uh, that we could turn like them. They're good workers. He says it. They're good workers. And look at all these other good workers here. Something went sour for the, for the cause of Christ and the benefit of these people. Let's help them get back to agreeing in the Lord as the ultimate. So agree in the Lord is not a passive okay. Uh, it's not an imposed will of one side to the other. It's not the best guess. It's not the most convincing reason, not the most timely response, but it is thoughtful, prayerful, Koinonia, that thick fellowship, that thick community in Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to as a church. That's what we're called to as believers is to be that for each other. Paul can say this because he's experienced this. Uh, he can just say it because the Spirit's inspiring him. But he's also uh, experienced this in uh, in Acts fifteen. Uh, this is the uh, um, this is some of the uh, some of the comments. That, uh, that happen as, uh, as a disagreement comes up in the church. They say, Jesus is awesome and we wanna rally behind him. We also have this thing in the Old Testament called circumcision and we wanna figure this thing out. Is this practice still good or not? And so in that conversation, which we've talked about you know, in the last couple of weeks, is, uh, he says this. Uh, they, they, they come together and they say, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord. So this is how they, they, they reveal, this is our decision. So it seemed good to us having one accord. Let me, let me go ahead a little bit further, uh, Acts 15, uh, what is it, 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And what, what, what is the result of the Jerusalem Council, what he's talking about? They have deep accord in. It's that we're making a big deal out of things that aren't the ultimate. We understand that if Gentiles are coming to Christ, we need to just get out of the way and let Christ do his thing. Uh, we, we need to understand that if Jews aren't letting go of this thing called circumcision, maybe we need to teach a little bit to that. But let's, 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 not, let's kind of get out of the way of Christ doing his thing in the Jewish community. And they say, so we want to, we have agreed to one accord. What is that accord? That Christ is the answer. And then we're going to reduce our Calvinism. We're going to reduce our circumcision. We're going to reduce our end times theology. We're going to reduce those things to the level that they're at because Christ and the gospel speak louder. The Jerusalem Council even made this decision. Paul was there. He's cited as being there uh, and, uh, and so he can speak wonderfully to us in that. So stand firm in Christ because we're not just we're not just a bunch of sinners coming and hurting and, 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 and always needy and always uh, hungering. There's, there's some of that but, but we have a king. We have a conquering king. We have a victorious king and so we can help each other confidently because it's not just that we say they're there. As we say, go into the best life that you were meant to live now. And the way we do that is by rallying each other to agree to Christ as the ultimate, as the ultimate way to life. So there's another way that we stand firm, confidently in the Lord, and that is by rejoicing. This is the next few verses here, verses four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul has said rejoice so many times in the book of Philippians. This is his overwhelming theme. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Why? Because Christ has afforded your righteousness, not you. And so let's get to work, working out this salvation that's in him. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And then he goes into this section here. Uh, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, I want you to really look at these, uh, at at the words here. Um, The way that Paul presents his argument here is really, like, poetic, but it's really interesting, and I think super helpful for us today. Uh, so he says, uh, he says it kind of this way. He says, Let your gentleness be known to everyone, or let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's verse five. And then he ends that with something like really intense. He says, The Lord is at hand. <laughs> so just let your reasonableness be known because God's coming and he will judge you. That's what he means. Um, yikes. Uh, and then the next thing he says is another warning here. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. And then he gives us another one of those, you know, let us kind of commands. But in everything, let your prayers and your supplication be made known to God. It's this really interesting thing. He says, in your rejoicing, in the way that you're living, there's something that we do when we process the world around us, when we look around and we see what's happening. I believe in Christ. I believe in that, but uh, uh, in him and the resurrection and, and those things. But I've got a really tough situation to deal with at work today. How, how does this connect? I've, I've, I've got, I've got a, a, a horrible situation in my family that I've got to deal with. How, how does this connect? It feels like sometimes we, we turn it off. and on. We, 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 we go to the pool and we put our foot in and we never actually jump in to see all of this is part of something Christ can speak to. We, we don't experience all of his peace because we're not jumping in and becoming fully wet and immersed in his goodness. So he says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. As you receive it, This is how we process this. And this is, I want to make this crystal clear. When you speak out to everyone, what are you making known? When when you're talking about your situation, it's right there in the text. When you speak out to everyone, what are you making known? The ESV says reasonableness. Uh, We'll get into that. Uh, I think every other translation says gentleness. So it's kind of this, this, this wonderful gentle truth that's beautiful. That's what's actually said to everyone. So then where do you take your complaints and your grumbling? He says with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So then you actually deal with the situation with God. So you, you tell people your reasonableness, your gentleness, but then you, then you take the stuff to God. And are we taking our complaints to God? No, what he says is, it's just right there. The words are your prayer and supplication with, with your requests, with your prayers, with those things. You take that to God. That's the right person to do that because the people around you, may patch the situation. they probably make you feel good or get some feigned sense of peace in it uh, or distract you, which is another way of peace, from the actual problem itself for a time. But that doesn't resolve it uh, for the long haul. It definitely doesn't resolve it for eternity. Go and talk to the guy who can. Go and talk to the ultimate one. So, as you, uh, as you help one another, make sure that the Lord is the highest, but as you, as you live live, re- live uh, rejoicing as you process your, your world and what God is doing in reasonableness, in reasonableness, in gentleness towards everyone else, but then take that to God and don't just take it to God out of complaint and grumbling. We learn this from the Israelites in the desert. Don't grumble and complain to God. It doesn't go well. It says, take your prayer and your supplication. Then what's right after that? You look there, what does it say? With thanksgiving. Oh, that's the one that's so tricky in 2019. With Thanksgiving? So I got to like talk to him with Thanksgiving? Yes, yes. Josh is very ungrateful. And Thanksgiving is a really hard one for me to season my prayers to God with. God, this situation with my family is rough. Thank you for the family, thank you for the opportunity to be worked on. Thank you for this opportunity to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. This, if you know me, thank you for your prayers, this week has been brutal for me and my family, Uh, and I've had to go and thank God, and that's actually probably more brutal because it's so much pride that I have to put away to thank God for this season of life. Man, this is a good text for us today, ungrateful church of 2019. So, what, what, do we, what do we get from this? How is this helpful? I'm not trying to just, just beat you down here. Paul is. No. So, the Lord is at hand, uh, which takes us back to, to chapter one. He says, the day of the Lord. He's been talking about this. He sees this view of God. This is what I've, I've been referring to as the higher and wider view. Uh, he repeatedly points to the day of Christ uh, throughout. And so, it's not weird that we get this idea that let your reasonableness Uh, Let your gentleness be made known uh, to to the world around you. Because when Jesus comes back, he's going to say, hey, I brought this salvation for you. I rescued you from this. Did you talk about that? Did you share that? And so we we, we look up and we look beyond. You know, it's like we, we get stuck on this one rotten tree in the forest, and that's what we think about all the time. When we're supposed to raise ourselves up and see the whole forest the whole redemptive history and see where this end is where the, the day of christ comes and then he could say there is hope i am the redeemer I, I will make it all new i will be the resurrection i mean we just read this in chapter three in, uh, in, uh, we will be made like him in his death by that by any means possible i may retain the resurrection from the dead that it will be glorious that there will be something there but then he always brings it back and he says but work it out now Work that view, that reality out now. Your view is of a rotten tree, and that's not reality. That's actually not the world around you. Because if it was, it would seem as though the person across the room from you today would also be thinking of that as the overarching reality, right? No, it's your own specific thing. If not everyone knows this, then, then you're probably just not running your mouth, which is one side of it, but it's also probably not the ultimate problem here. The ultimate problem is the one that we all know that we need a savior, that this world is broken. And he says, look to that. The day of Christ is coming. Speak that and live that into your world around you as you help one another to Christ. And then as you look around, as you rejoice in the beauty of Christ around you. There is beauty to be seen. There's a lot more beauty to be seen than you or I ever think. And that's what he's calling us to. John Calvin, he said it this way. He says, there is not one blade of grass there is not one color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. Oh, that's so great! So sometimes we, uh, in my family, we have a theme, and that day we're explorers, and we'll go try and find that theme, and then we'll come back at the at the table, um, and then just kind of share what we saw. That'd be a great one. Just send your family out. You yourself go out. And say, hey, come back tonight. We're going to reconvene here. We're going to call it supper time. And we're just going to go around the table and say, what can you rejoice about today? Oh, man. You do that over and over, oh, we start to get the different lens, the higher, wider lens that we need to have that can help us in our days. Let your your reasonableness be known to everyone. The day of the Lord is at hand. But don't be anxious. It says, don't worry about this. Day of the Lord coming. Uh, Don't worry about your today things. There are many ways. Uh, Paul Tripp has a wonderful article. I'm not going to talk about it any more than saying it's on our Facebook group, uh, or it will be posted on our Facebook group, uh, just this idea of how the gospel speaks to our anxiety. Uh, We are very anxious uh, uh, people now, probably more than ever. Uh, I think that because it's more than ever, it may be something that we're doing situationally, but I don't want to discount that that there is need for this. Uh, There is need sometimes for for, for anxiety. I think sometimes we we tip over over to it too much. We diagnose it too quickly. Uh, But we do have, um, Parkview actually has great relationships with counselors uh, in the area, Um, fantastic uh, counselors in the area that can help walk through this. If this is something of yours, I don't want to make light of this um, and and push too hard and say, no, 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 this isn't a thing. I'm not one of those pastors who says that this isn't a real mental thing, um, that 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 if you need that help, like, we have resources. We can connect you very quickly. If anxiety is a thing that that is is getting you off the horse, if that is the hook that the devil is using to pull you away from the gospel, please come and ask. We can get you connected very quickly. But not different than that, but just also in that category there. uh, uh, Jesus talks about this anxiety. Uh, Jesus talks about this anxiety and one way to deal with it. Um, He, in Luke 10, he he, he visits his friends, uh, Mary and Martha, and uh, and I won't go into that. I feel like the Mary and Martha story is just overplayed way too much, but I'm going to contribute to the overplaying right now. Uh, Mary and Martha. Um, Mary sits uh, to listen at uh, Jesus' teaching while Martha gets stuff done. That's kind of the basic idea of what it is. Jesus says something to Martha. He says, he uses the same word here. Do not be anxious. He says, you are anxious about many things. How many of us does that, that, that's me. Uh, I don't know, uh, 3 a.m., wake up, and I'm ready to go for the day, not because I'm energized, but because I'm anxious. Are you anxious? You are anxious about many things. But then he turns and he says, Mary has chosen the good portion. She sat at the teacher's feet and listened. And I think just as we see Scripture flow, it's, it's not composed just haphazardly or, 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 or whatever. The Spirit is, is even not simply writing it, but composing it as it comes together. That's in Luke 10. At the very end of Luke 10, we go into Luke 11, and Bible trivia, if you already know where we're going, you you got the aha moment already, is the Lord's prayer. It says, says, don't be anxious, Martha. What's what's one way, one one very potent way out of our anxiety? To pray. And he says, and as you pray, pray this way. That's interesting, because Paul says this. He says, uh, do not be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Huh. They're, they're tapping into the same thing here. That there may be a real thing with our anxiety, and that may need to be taken care of at maybe a, a, a counseling, at maybe a, a medical level. But more often than not, it seems like what we're reading here is that our prayer can actually lift much of our anxiety because it takes us to God it rightly places us in the pool, not just sitting on the edge of the pool with our legs in there, and we, ex- we get wet with the peace of God a little bit, and we kind of dabble, and it's nice, and we watch everyone swimming, and it looks great. Like sometimes, like you really got to ask yourself, am I that person? But I think more of us are that than not. I question sometimes whether I'm fully just enjoying, just jumping into Jesus and saying, I want to be here wherever that takes me, and it's not my plan. As soon as I find out that, that I'm, I, I'm heading for, for the zero entry and getting a little bit further out, as soon as something happens that seems out of my control, and it pushes me there. Martha is, is a person much like me, wants to get stuff done and do it herself, not sit in what seems strange and listen to God, not sit and pray and speak with God there's incredible power in prayer because it connects us with the one who can take care of us. It connects us to someone whom we can stand firm in. Stand firm in the Lord. You can make your charts and diagrams. You can plan your your your, your actions out. You can set your budget. But the one who can actually give you that peace is the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. And the peace of God, verse seven, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So I have to ask just, you know, language nerd here, why does it say peace of God? Uh, why can't it just say peace? Why do we have to qualify this? And, and peace will guard your hearts. Well, I think it's because there are other forms of peace that needed to be clarified. There are different, different ways of peace that we look for in the world around us every day. For the, for the uh, believers in Philippi, uh, they, they had a peace. It was it was it was wording that, that, that they had um, or that we've given them to describe this time of peace. There, and if you've heard me talk about peace before, I'll go there because it's such a great illustration. In Rome at that time, they had a thing called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. This Roman peace was superficial. <laughs> this Roman peace was designed by might makes right. It was that that the military imposed this peace. And that uh, it depended on strong communication to know what's, what's, what's disrupting. It, 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 uh, it required um, uh, a whole bunch of military to make sure the peace took place. It made sure that people that were, you know, creating unrest were thrown in jail like Paul. And, uh, and it didn't last. Uh, it, it, was, it was fake. It was superficial. I feel like sometimes uh, there's, there's a temptation when you're going to, like, church or you're going to um, someone's house for, for dinner or you're going to some social event to like pull the pox romana card in the front seat and be like okay now if we don't behave <laughs> Paul was in jail do you and you know and, and that's that pox romana that forced fake peace that's not the peace we're looking for that's not the just put some you know dry your eyes put on some more makeup and we're good That's not peace. That's fake. What peace do you need? You need to jump all the way in. The situation may be good. The situation may be bad. But we need to be all the way wet. We need to want to be wet, even though it's uncomfortable. Because ultimately, that is the place of peace. We don't create our peace. We arrive at peace in Christ. He makes the way for peace there. But the peace of God is quite different. We have access to this peace because of Christ, and because Christ's righteousness is ours through faith. I want to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We read it already a little bit uh, this morning, but I want to read uh, a larger portion. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Knowing, oh, can you go back, please? Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We are not creating our peace. We are not creating our righteousness. Our labor is bringing the righteousness of God, the message of the righteousness, the message of the peace to the world around us. And that's why we land it here in point three. Think about and practice these things. Think about and practice the things of Christ. Now, I wanted to provide you some flowery language or some deep insights, but honestly, these verses are so incredibly clear and so incredibly. So I wanted to invite us into this pool, into this, into this, the waters of Jesus Christ, into the peace. But I'll read it because it's good. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any, anything worthy of praise, think about these things things. As we have the higher and wider view of Jesus' coming day, as we have a higher and wider view of the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Not just because we've created a defense, but it will guard us in Christ Jesus when we are tapped into the ultimate Lord. These are the things that should condition our thoughts. So I would challenge you throughout your week Ask yourself on these things. You know, the Spirit convicts. If you are a Christian, if you have belief, the Spirit convicts and prompts you to, oh, is this good? Is this, I don't know. Go to this text. Go here. Is this true? Is this honorable? Is this just? Is this pure? Is this lovely? Is this commendable or excellent or anything worthy of praise? Just put it on there. I mean, this is is a wonderful way to shape our life to think about things that are right. And then we go to practice them. Verse nine, what do you have learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. But they're not just things to practice that we just learn and then we go and figure it out. This is the invitation to Faith Academy. Go and see how justice works out in real life because he's saying, I've been around you. You have learned and received and heard these things from me, but then he adds one more, and you have seen me do it. I think that's something where where parents oftentimes, we want to dictate to our kids, do this well. Or we want to tell our neighbors who are struggling, "Uh, no, just do this well, just believe more. Do they see you believing more and obeying more? As Paul can say, practice these things because I'm showing you these things. I think that's a challenge uh, that we have uh, to take up. How am I pursuing in my actions what is just and true and pure and lovely? Am I modeling that? even when I'm not around them, am I doing those things? Can I say, do as I do? And as I do is the path towards Christ. Man, that is powerful. That is challenging. So, Paul gives us this wonderful view of Christ. Paul gives us uh, so many things to think about of Christ and to think about of our fellowship, of, of who we are. Yeah, I honestly, I mean, it's, it's kind of my superimposed imagery there, but I really think that, 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 that Paul here is inviting us to the pool party. Just jump in, swim deeply in Jesus Christ because you will be saturated by peace. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you ache? Do you hurt? Do you long for more? Do you hunger for answers? You're craving peace. You're craving the peace of God. If your actions and your activity have not satisfied that, St. Augustine says, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. You have not tapped into the ultimate. You have not expressed a need for that Savior and Lord. And you, can't, you have not stood firm in that. If that's you, that's an invitation. It, it, it's not much. <laughs> it's not much of a, uh, the path there is very simple The pride is the hurdle to get over. God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I I, I have not put you as the highest, and I need you. Please come, forgive me, heal me, help me. That's a simple prayer like that. So, stand firm in the Lord. Do that as we help one another. Do that as we uh, rejoice. And do that as we think about and practice the way of Christ. As our kids come back, we'll turn to God in prayer.